0: <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, you haven't even collected your badges, you um, renegade people.
1: John,
0: did you get Yeah, well done. Uh, he's been officially named and shamed. Uh, well, I think most people are here now. So um this afternoon uh Goff and uh Steph are doing uh the the programme. Um but uh Goff's gonna do this first session. I asked Goff particularly and he's got slides. Woo! uh I <laughs> I asked uh Goff to do this because probably amongst us I think Goff particularly has over the the years, really demonstrated the sort of DNA of team creation and the style of which we do things, the sort of chemistry of it, the the way we want to sort of work together. I asked him to speak on this whole thing of sort of itinerancy and how we work together in translocal ways. So um, I think we're going to be in for a real treat this afternoon. I can't think of anyone better to help us with that, just to provoke our thinking, which uh, I'm sure he will do, because we want to... Not just do what we've always done, because otherwise we'll always get what we've always had. We want to do so. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah I thought you'd like that. So we want to, we want to, we want to push. You can write that down. That was the only thing I've said worth listening to. Uh, so let's welcome Goff as he comes and stirs the pot. Oh,
1: dear me, dear me. Thank you. Uh, look, I tell you what. Yeah, before I start, it, you wouldn't—you you, know—wouldn't be me if I didn't do some recommendations, no, would yeah. it? Now, every single one of you, I'm sure, if, you must have read that. Bill Hybels, courageous leadership. Come on, shame on you. Who's not read that? You—the first comer can have that one for five pounds. Thereafter, it's six fifty. Okay? It's a classic. You've got to read that book. It's really great. Um, another one here: Letters to My Students by Charles Spurgeon. Again, that is a a really helpful book, all right? I I still go back to my old copy and have a little look now and again. It's only 14 pounds. I mean, goodness, how do they do it around here? And then, really, a little bit in (laughs) line... Get your money out. Come on, roll up, roll up. Um, This is kind of in in line a bit with what I'm going to be... It has a bearing on what I'm saying this afternoon. Um, It's a call by Os Guinness. A great, great book. It just broadens your perspective on on calling. I think it's really helpful. Some people tie themselves up in knots over calling and and all the rest of it. This is so helpful. It just unpackages in a very, uh, um, a really helpful way. It's, I think it's about twenty-eight short chapters, and you're encouraged to do one a day and reflect. And it, it's it's great, especially catching lay people up in mission. So. Call what bargain price? Oh, look at that! Nine pounds. So there you go. Wow. Nine pounds. There might be one or two over here. There we go. Okay. Um, as Mike said, he Mike I, I invited me a couple of months back to speak on um, on this, and it's. Uh, it, it's. I, I I hope I'm going to deliver what Mike wanted, um, because it's been it's been quite an experience for me spending the last couple of months getting into Paul's world, trying to get into Paul's world, things that we think we know about and, and, and really have a good grasp of. And I've been quite blown away. So I'd like to start just with a little bit of, get a bit of inspiration from Calvin, if that's okay. Um, um, sorry, here we go. I can't make my iPad work. Why wasn't that work? Just, that was a, why, How do you do this? Do that? Do, do it again? Oh, there it is. One of the joys of being a kid is the, experience, the experiences are new and therefore more intense. For example, I'm about to stick my nose in a jar of mustard and inhale deeply. Let's see what it's like. See, when you're older, you take your sideuses for granted some of us prefer to. Well, I want to invite you to stick your nose into the flavor of the New Testament, and I invite you to inhale deeply this afternoon, and um, I I hope you don't mind being challenged a bit in the process. Because I think I, you know, I, I must say, I, I've, I, for me, just this, this last couple of months, just digging and, and, and reading, I've been, I've been very provoked and not a little bit challenged about Paul's, uh, his, his methodology, the, the way he, he, he went, in, just, yes, the, his, methodology, his methodology, his teams, the people he's worked with and so on. I found it very, very stirring. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, as, as you all here know, I'm not a church planter. I've never, I have never planted a church. I, uh, I'm more of a builder. I've been here for 24 years, I think, nearly. And, uh, uh, and yet getting into Paul's world, things that I thought I understood very well um, have really uh, provoked me. So this afternoon, I, I, uh, I, I'm going to cover quite a lot of material. I'm going to be a little bit, provo- a little bit provocative along the way. Um, And then the next session we're going to have a lot more space and you may well want to come back at me and uh, 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 have some discussion. But I'm I'm going to start um, by reading from Romans chapter 16, the end of Romans, a passage I have never ever preached on before in my life. But uh, I've got God lead me here as I, it's this passage when I... um, began to prepare. So um, let's stick our noses into Scripture and inhale deeply, okay? So we're in Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, servant of the church of, Ke- uh, of Kenshrei, Ken- uh, Ken- that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she's been a patron of many, myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles that give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epaphanatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia? Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. They're well known to the apostles. They were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. He was a lovely chap. Uh, greet, sorry, greet those workers in the Lord... Uh, Trifana and Trifosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus. Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. and, and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our bro- brother Quartus, greets you. And now to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings be made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know whether you, I hope you weren't bored by that, that chapter, um, I guess, had, this letter, if it had you been in the church in Rome, you, you, you'd have felt hopefully quite encouraged and chuffed when you heard your name. And you'd have thought, whoa, he, he remembered me. Because I think that, that it's not just a, a list of names here. I think actually we can get the smell of the New Testament here. We get to, to get a, a, a sniff of the Christian community that, uh, that was there in, in, in Rome. Um, and there are some su- surprisings here. I- I'm going to take this basically on f- four headings. I'm just going to put this up here. Then I'm not going to play anymore. And I'll get distracted. I'm going to look at the, the greetings. I'm going to step through uh, and-, and look at that. going to uh, look at the different workers that-, that Paul was involved with. Then I'm going to spend a bit of time seeing uh, some strategies, how he raised up workers. And then lastly, the mobilizing of workers, how Paul... Uh, set about mobilising them. And, and there's kind of a pattern here. We're gonna get we're gonna start off very personal, that we're gonna look at the profiles, and then we can see the process of rating up workers, and then the whole progress of teams as they as they spread out. So I want to start here with these 27 personal greetings. And I, I, the first very obvious point is, is this that Paul really knew how to do personal. He knew how to value people. I think often, you know, we skip over those passages that they, they, like, they, uh, like I have for goodness knows how many years. And you think, oh, it's just a sort of a, it's a nicety, it's something that's, uh, but hey, getting the smell. It's being read, in the, it's being read to the believers and, and there's this wonderful diversity and inclusiveness and, and a caring about, about, about uh, everyone involved. And it's. I think it's, it's. I think it says something about Paul and his approach to people and and to team. Um, in the first part, there there's about twenty five names in Rome that he's he, uh, that he's uh, twenty five who are named and a couple who are not named. Um, and of course, the first little challenge there. That out of those twenty seven names, ten of them are women. And. Uh, that's quite impressive when you consider that this is in a very male-dominated society. Ten of these names of the Church in Rome that I mentioned are are women. Some of the names are Jewish, Carodian and Apelles. Some are Latin. Uh, Ampliatus—he sounds like a big chap, doesn't he? Ampliatus. You know, he's sort of a—he sounds like a, you know, yeah, a good a good name there. Um, Urbanus, he's obviously a city boy, isn't he? Um, And then there's some Greeks there, uh, a Cosmopon or something. um, uh, uh, There's lots of slaves we're going to see. There's quite a few slaves there. There's freedmen there. Some people of standing. um, Quite a few of these people have popped up elsewhere in other settings and Paul was yet to get to Rome and he's got all this relational connect before he even gets there. And I, I just find this very impressive that Paul, he really knows how to do personal and it comes through. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and, and there's not a statistic insight. It's all very personal. It's, it's all about the individual. Um, so, and Henry, you might ask a question. You know, how, how does he, how does he do that? How does he remember their names? And I think there's a well. There's, 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 I think there's several answers to that. One is he 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 really cares about these people. He he, they're not just numbers. They're not just uh, people that he can use. They are they friends. We're going to see that in a moment. He he really cared about them. They weren't just uh, let say people that he, he could he could use they were they they were folks he, he related to. I think the other thing to say would, would be that he uh, we know he prayed for them. He, he again and again he's saying he I I'm praying for you. My I'm praying and and, and, and clearly that kind of helps you remember them because you're they're in your in your heart in your mind and you're praying for them. He knew how to do personal. These are dear friends. I'm going to step through. I'm going to go through each one, and I'm going to bore you slightly because I want you to just get the fragrance of what's going on. And um, it, it, these are often friendships that have been forged through quite hard times. You, you probably noticed when I read through there, fellow prisoners. Yeah, I remember we did time together. <laughs> we, you know, a, they, they went through tough times, and, and they, they that, that forged a the bond with them that... Um, that, that lasted throughout life and ministry. So, my first point would be that he got to know, he knew how to do personal well. I think the second point would be this Paul understood mission not to be just about winning converts, but gathering people. Okay? He, he didn't just go to win converts, he went to gather people. He went to create community everywhere that he went. That's why he, he knew their name, because he wasn't just Preaching for conversion, he was wanting to gather community. I mean, you all know, ecclesia means uh, uh, the, the most often in the New Testament, it's, it's a, a gathering together of people. Tim Keller, uh, in his book Church Center, some of you may have that. He says this: the gospel creates community because it because it points us to the one who died for his enemies. It creates relationships of service rather than selfishness. Because it removes both fear and pride, people get along inside the church who could never get along outside. Thus, the gospel creates a human community radically different from any society around it. Community shapes the nature of our witness and our engagement in mission. Can I read that again? Community shapes the nature of our witness and our engagement in mission. So once we see that actually community is, well, it's the heart of God, of course. What, what's the Bible all about? God wants a big family. And when, when you begin to see that community is, is not just a byproduct, as Mike said earlier on, but it's actually what God wants, that affects the way you do mission. And uh, interestingly, again, in, uh, in, in here, uh, how many of you have come across this book yet? Have, have any seen it? Okay. Um, uh, it, it, I think it's it sent to church. It's, uh, this, I'm going to be digging in here for some time, I think. I feel it's, it, it's, very, it's there's some very helpful stuff in here. He talks about, Tim, Tim Keller kind of talks about three different phases in Paul's um, missional um, program. And he says here, the normal ministry of Paul has three phases that are easily seen in Acts 14. First is evangelism. Um, Acts 14 states that Paul and Barnabas preached the good news. But it doesn't use a common word for preaching. Instead, a more comprehensive word is used, un, un, uh, well, evangelized or gospelized the city. The Greek word connotes a great deal more than simply preaching sermons. The Book of Acts describes Paul in the act of spreading the gospel through preaching in synagogue services, sharing in small group Bible uh, Bible studies, speaking in the marketplaces, leading discussions in rented halls, and simply talking about talking with people one to one. Gospelizing, I love that. That's a lovely phrase. And Tim Keller says in the initial phase of Paul's ministry in any location there'd be this gospelizing. And there's a whole load of stuff going on, as, as, as Tim Keller says, you know, in the synagogue, in the marketplace, in the home, down the road here, there's this gospelizing. This, And it's, it, uh, uh, that, that's where it all begins. Then he goes on to say this: in the second phase of Paul's ministry, we see a clear incorporation into community. Immediately after gospelizing the city, Paul goes to the converts, to strengthen and encourage them. New believers don't simply go on living their lives as they were, but they're brought into a community that assembles regularly. And then finally we move into leadership development stage. So I love that dynamic. There's this, this gospelizing that's just very dynamic and, and lots of people are involved. And, uh, and then out of that it brings about community, which then becomes a springboard for everything else, that's going to happen in the, in the mission, and that seems to be a way that Paul that Paul operates. So, a really helpful um, uh, illustration, I think. You see, the the, the apostolic team is actually uh, actually the the embryo of the body of Christ. It's the embryo of the church that's going to come into into being. Okay. I think the apostolic team that Paul gathers in those cities, that's the embryo, just like a crystal. When you, if you start off with a very small crystal, a crystal will grow according to the shape that it is right at the beginning. It'll keep the shape as it gets bigger. And I think this, this relational team, this, this, this wonderful community of friends on a mission, that's the, that's the embryo in, that, 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 that Paul wants to see the church Uh, be like as it grows. Does that make sense? So, uh, he knows how to do personal because community is at the heart of the mission. In fact, it is the mission. So let's look at this radical community, this radical apostolic community, and uh, we're going to do a little bit of profile here. I'm going to step through because I think we should. So let's go. Here we go. Uh, I, I First of all, we've got Phoebe, a pagan name, a woman otherwise unknown. We don't know anything else about her. She is commended. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe. Of course, we use the word sister generally when we've forgotten someone's name, right? (laughs) Um, And it's it's a bit naff in our vocabulary now, isn't it? But it's family. I think... Smell the New Testament. It's family. She's a sister. She's she's family. We're close. Do you see what I'm saying? We we kind of we read it through our you know modern filter and we think sister and we think of maybe some church we used to be in where it was all sister this sister that and but no, this is family. We're close. There's something I think quite quite special here. She's a, she's a servant in the church of Kenthrae, near Corinth. That's a place near Corinth. She's a servant of the church, a deacon of the church. And it says to receive her in the Lord, in a way worthy of his people. Now, Leon Morris says this, to receive someone in the Lord means more than simply to receive that person into one's house. There's a reminder that what Christians they do, they do in Christ. And they're to give Phoebe a welcome worthy of the saints, and, this, and so again, there's this is something. Hey, with open arms, receive her warmly and well, as part of the Christian community. Paul goes on to make it clear that she was someone special. Um, I, I, okay, I, she's a deacon of the church. Um, does that mean she was just a servant and? Well, actually, because it's a deacon of the church, and actually, when we're the deacon there, it's it's it, it, it's not in the female tense; it's it, it's masculine because it's of the church. So it's it she is clearly a recognised servant of the church in in um, this dreadful name I've been trying to learn all week, Kenthrai. So she's a servant of of the church. Something of a recognised a role that she had but it goes on to say that she has helped many people myself included and the the word there is the word for a patron or a benefactor Uh, now we don't know quite what happened but maybe she uh, helped him with papers or documents for i don't know what was going on or maybe it was financial but she she was like a benefactor she she helped him function she helped him minister she made life work for him while he was there so, so um, you know, give her any help she may need, because she's been a benefactor of many people, including me. So there's a deep sense of value on this this lady that that Paul is asking the church to make uh, of her. Let's let's move on. Um, we've got Priscilla and Aquila. Yeah, some of you know what I'm, where I'm going on something here yeah, because you, we. Well, you, it's slightly strange. Her name's mentioned first. In fact, most often she's mentioned first in the couple. Okay, Four, she, six times they're, they're mentioned as a couple in scripture. Four times she's mentioned first in scripture. Now, you know, I'm just. I, 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 please smell. I don't think this is our language. I think we're we're far. We we would be we would be quite cautious about how we spoke in these sort of terms because of uh, uh, the whole issue of of um, male. Headship and so on and so forth, but but here, um, you know, she is mentioned first. Uh, maybe she was more more prominent. We don't know. Um, he he's not a wimp. Aquila means is a word for eagle, and he so you know he's kind of maybe he had a tattoo. I don't know. You can see this tent maker. You know he's got to be he's a, he's, a, he's a man clearly. Uh, uh, he 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 knows how to do business and all the rest of it. Um, but they're clearly a, a great couple. Um, their friendship began way back in in, in Corinth, and then they went on to Ephesus, stayed behind when he left. These guys were involved in mission over hundreds of miles, I'm going to give you a bit of scale later on, with Paul, and they are clearly a precious couple. They'd risk their lives for Paul. They had a church in their house. They were... uh, Gathering wherever they went, I mean, there's something here in terms of mission that, that this couple with this, with, with this trade that was transferable, um, Paul didn't get them to quit their job and come into full-time ministry. He harnessed them and saw this as a great way for mission to spread uh, across across the the nations. And so they took their trade with them, and it got them immediately into community. And you can see that that's exactly what Paul wanted to bring about community so a, a great couple who um uh come to our attention we'll see in a moment that uh, that they were also theologically um, sound so we'll come come to that in a moment but let's just keep going through the list um ephenatus this is a, another chap my dear friend a dear friend to paul i don't think that's just kind of you know a habit a, a, habit, a turn of phrase he was a dear friend and uh, uh, again, this, the, the, the close sense of heart that, um, uh, that, that, that Paul expresses. He's called the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. So there's some history there uh, with them. Mary, generally to be a Jewish name. Um, she had worked very hard. Maybe she was elderly now and uh, didn't quite do so much. We don't know. Andronicus means man of victory. So again, this, this guy's no mouse. Um, Victor, with, you know, uh, He's a he's a good guy. And Junior. Uh yes, Junior. Fellow prisoners, there we are. Did time again there. Um, through rough times. Outstanding among the apostles. I'm afraid the ESV doesn't do very well in the um translation there, well known to the apostles. Um, um Leon Morris again. The former under sorry, uh yes this might mean the apostles held them in high regard or they were apostles and notable apostles at that well leon morris says the former understanding seems less likely it scarcely does justice to the construction of the greek bear in mind the words of chrysostom he commented on this oh how great is the devotion of this woman that she should even be counted worthy of the appellations of the apostle so clearly this couple they were now, I'm not saying she was the junior as an apostle. Okay, I'm not. I'm not going. I don't believe that's that, that, That's not what we're saying here. But that this couple are highly commended among the apostles. They, they, they're they're a couple of great reputation and 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 uh, uh, ability in the apostolic team. Interestingly, it was only in about the 13th century that people began to say that maybe Junior, maybe it was Junius, maybe it was a male, because, you know, um, and so it was changed at that point. But clearly in, in the early church, uh, say, uh, Chrysostom, he recognized the value of this woman in the cause of the gospel. So they were very early on the Christian scene. Paul says that they were Christians before he was. So that takes them right back close to the crucifixion. And uh, so a key couple in, in, in mission. Um, from, the, from perhaps from Palestine, and now here they are in Rome. Uh, I mean, we're talking a thousand miles away. These people have traveled and uh, uh, in, for the sake of mission, which is very impressive. Let's keep going. Um, Ampliatus, another dear friend of Paul, notice they say warmth of affection. Um, this is a, a, a perhaps a, a slave's name uh, connected with the emperor's household. Um, Ampliatus, my dear friend of the Lord. Yeah, uh, yeah probably a slave. Um, Urbanus, the name of the slave. Um, probably in the imperial household again, says Lightfoot. Um, uh, Sashes, another dear friend. A palace, a name found amongst the imperial household again, says Lightfoot. And it says of this man, he was tested and approved. Um, now, we don't know what he'd gone through, but this guy had he'd gone through stuff and done well. He'd approved himself well and and, that, and and Paul just remembers that. What a guy this guy he's done well. That's an impressive thing to to say. His fidelity for Christ has stood the test says ESV. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus uh, that would be, not that Aristobulus was a, was a Christian. He'd been he'd have been a, a house own, a hold owner in, in Rome, and slaves within the house were part of, of the of the of the church. Um, Herodian may have been one of those slaves. Uh, similarly with the household of Narcissus. Not that Narcissus was uh, a believer, probably, um, but it says those who of his household who are in the Lord. So there are prominent households in Rome where there there's a there's a number of people. Another number of slaves who've come to Christ. So right in in Imperial Rome, in, in influential households, there would have been there were believers. Greet uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa. This two there's two women here, um, uh, probably sisters, could have been twins. Their names mean dainty and delicate, um, and uh, there may be a bit of play on words here that. Um, uh, they, they, they worked hard in, in, in it. Paul goes on to say they worked hard um, um, in the Lord so two, two, two ladies there who were very influential then we've got my dear friend Persis that means Persian lady she was a lady again um, Persian lady another wo- woman who has worked very hard in the Lord Yeah, Rufus that's a common way Red uh, a latin name um a slave name um he probably could well have been um it, it, it says here of rufus uh chosen in the lord um a lot of commentators think that uh, that uh, this was uh for, for mark 15 21 we've got simon from cyrene father of alexander and rufus so the guy who carried the cross he had two sons One's say Alexa, um, Alexander and Rufus. So Rufus, his dad may have been the one who carried the cross uh, all those years ago. So some some dear friends who've seen a lot and walked together through quite a lot of stuff. Rufus's mother, she's been very kind to Paul. Um, it, 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 it there's a wonderful sense of, of family here. Then we've got another verse 14. We've got a group of five names, uh, slaves and freemen. Uh, they could well have been a house church there in verse, verse 14. Um, uh, Greek um, asyncritus uh, and Phlegon and Hermes and Herbatus and Hermus. other brothers and sisters with them that may have been a house church there in their home. Um, and then verse fifteen, greet Phileogos and Julia near it. So then the names go on, and all, and all the Lord's people who were with them. That may have been another house church there in verse fifteen. So we've got, and, and I haven't mentioned the names a bit later on. Timothy and Lucius and Jason There's a story there. You read in Acts seventeen, Jason. That's where they got into a into a riot and. Uh, 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 took refuge in Jason said, Do you remember that time we were you know we, uh, there were stories there with all of these people? They went back uh, a long a long way so what comments what am i what am I saying here about the profile of paul 's fellow workers well first of all there 's wonderful diversity, old young male, female, different races, wonderful diversity there 's genuine love and friendship, and I just love the way that there 's each, each one is valued and honoured. They're not lost in the busyness of, or the urgency of the, of, the, of the task. So that wonderful diversity. Second thing I'd notice is the, the focus of communication. Paul uses com- communication. Uh, there's no hype here. He uses communication to build up his friends, to encourage the brethren. So he, the focus, he, he's really important when he's communicating to this church. A, a large part of his communication is to, is to honour and build up and bless the, in a personal way and then I think thirdly I'd have to say this that I am challenged by the involving and honouring of women that we see here and I I, I think we have something to learn Paul recognised and valued the role of women in the apostolic mission he honoured them I don't think we use this kind of language in our circles, I think we need to do some work here. Um, it's interesting of uh, Priscilla and Aquila. We read in Acts 1826. It says, "When Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, even that, you see, I've read that to you. Let me, let me let's, let's just bring that into our, into our context. Um, I've got, I, I don't know who to pick on here, but, um, oh, okay. Um, Toby began to speak boldly in the church. And when Angie and Gough heard him, Angie and Gough went and explained the word of God more accurately to him. I think if I said that you'd be a bit shocked. Actually, you'd be a bit. Oh well. I don't think I'm just being sensitive here. We don't talk like that. It sounds a little bit like teaching to me. <laughs> um, and I, I just want. I, I, there's there's a wonderful honour. There's something good going on here. That is, that's honouring. Now you know. Please don't hear what I'm not saying, because. You know, obviously, we we love head, headship is beautiful. We love headship. Headship, my you know, headship is uh, my marriage. Somehow, is a, a little picture of Christ's love for His church and the way that whole dynamic works. It's a mystery. Ephesians five, Paul says that, that that's what's going on. Headship is beautiful. It's wonderful. And and and, and I'm not challenging that at all we love the whole thing of eldership that we've we fought for over the years in terms of doctrine and discipline direction those great things but I, i feel in the area of of honoring women i i don't think i'm not sure we're very good at it and i urge us brothers to we've got to do some i feel we've got to do some work on this and the reason one of the reasons is that um you see go back to what i said a moment ago Paul saw the value of building community as one of the first steps in, in getting the gospel into a community, in, in, into a city. Now, let's be honest. Women are often far better than men at community. They're, they're often, you know, they're, they're, they just are. You notice when Paul got out, there's this lovely story when Paul got out of prison um, Acts 16, it says they got out of prison and went to Lydia's house. I've often found that amusing, you know. Where should we go? We're feeling beaten up and smelly and dirty. Oh, let's go to Lydia's. Don't bother going to Clement's. He's never got any food in the house and the place is a dump. Let's go to Lydia's. She'll look after us. We like this. And, and women are such as better at community very often. And, and I, I don't want to limit things to, to just a community either. In this dynamic of, of gospelizing, I think... We can see in Paul's experience the women were right in the mix, doing the stuff, fruitfully. And of course there's Euodia and Sinches in Philippians 4.2 where Paul says, I plead with Euodia, I plead with Sinches, I be of the same mind. These women contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the co- co-workers. They, 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 they contended for the gospel with me. What does that mean? I think they were gospelizing. They were. They were. Were, were they? Were they preaching? I, I, I believe they were. I believe they were. They were. I just think of that whole dynamic in the marketplace, in the homes, here, there, sharing Jesus, explaining the truth more accurately to. I, I folks, the women that were involved in this stuff. It's kind of so quiet in here. I mean, just the percentage of names that you saw there. Um, You know, I think it's about 30% of women. I'm thinking of, let me bring this, let me earth this. I mean, you know, Roger, uh, you going into Lille. Now, let's, let's just be radical here. It could just be that your wife, George, could be more effective in this gospelizing community deal than you will be. Wow, what do we think about that? But that seems to be the sort of dynamic that we've got here, where the women are playing a a, a key role in in, in what's going on. Yeah, have I got any friends left here, (laughs) folks? Now, you know, let me. We we could talk a lot more about this. Actually, well, go on. I'll give you a few just to to back me up. I feel I need FF Bruce to back me up here a little bit, and some other some heavyweights. Um, FF Bruce. Speaking of these, these two ladies, for they have worked hard with me to spread the gospel, translates a Greek relative clause literally, inasmuch as they labored with me in the gospel. The compound word rendered have worked hard appears elsewhere in the New Testament, only in chapter 1, verse 27, where it's translated fighting together. They fought together with me for the gospel. That's not just making the tea, folks. There's something far more dynamic going on here. It's used normally of fighting in a war or in the arena. This metaphorical sense is reflected in translations was fighting to defend or shared my contrast, my my contest. Walter Hansen, These women were famous for striving together at Paul's side in the gospel mission. They were not passive spectators. They were actively involved participants who struggled and suffered along with Paul to advance the gospel in the face of harsh opposition. Paul emphatically states that these two women were full members of his mission team along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers. The women need to be reconciled because they belong to a great team of close associates of Paul. And when Paul thinks of those who have served faithfully with him, these two ladies immediately come to mind. Now, I just, I, I, I'm just saying, I, we, we, I believe we need to, we've we got some hard work to do here, chaps. We need to give ourselves some, some hard work. And in terms of that famous verse, you know, 1 Timothy 2.12, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a woman, over, over a man. Um, we sometimes use that as sort of a one-liner to shut the door quite firmly on a whole range of ministries. Now, I, I would just venture to suggest that this passage, 1 Timothy 2.12, is not a very straightforward passage. And there might just be a hint there in the next verse but one it says that women shall be saved through childbirth now I don't hear many people using that as a one liner we realise we've got to unpack that a bit, they will be saved through childbirth oh yeah of course women will be saved through childbirth and then only if they persevere in the faith that's what it says, now that might just give us a clue that this passage needs some unpackaging, do you you hear what I'm saying? Am, am I okay? can I keep going Mike? okay so we look at that, that this, you know, with that, that passage, I did not p- permit a woman to teach, and it goes on to speak about Adam and Eve, and then it says about women being saved through childbirth. And, you know, grief, I never preached from that verse, did you? Um, it's not, it doesn't say the childbirth, so it's, it's not even speaking about Christ, it's speaking about childbirth. And, whoa! And, and that just tells me that we've got to do some hard work on that passage, right? And you can't just roll it out. The other thing that gives me a hint there... Um, The word for authority, having authority over a man, that is not the usual word for authority that we find in the New Testament. The usual uh, word for authority in the New Testament is, um, come on, what is it? Um, Remind me, it's gone out of my brain. Exousia, thank you. Exousia. The the, the word, right the way through the New Testament, when it's said about Jesus, he spoke with authority, that's exousia. When it speaks about Jesus calming the storm, exousia. Everywhere, exclusively, exousia is used the word authority, authority, except here, where on this one occasion, a different word is used, the only time it's used in the New Testament, and uh, it's something like alfenteo, which which, um, says it's a unique word, and uh, again, that gives me a clue that maybe there's something else going on there. And so uh, all I'm saying here is, guys... I think we need to do some work in this, in, in this whole thing. And I would let me suggest this. We're not, I'm, not sort of, I'm not pitching camp on this passage, but it seems to me that context, context is everything, right, in, in terms of Scripture. And just when we read about childbirth, women being saved through childbirth, we think, whoa, we've got to find the context. What's going on there? I think when we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we need to look, there's, there's three contextual considerations that we need to make. I think. And they will be this. They will begin with E, which might help you. The first one is Ephesus. What was going on in Ephesus that caused Paul to say the things that he said there? Because there clearly was stuff about men and women and uh, uh, whether women should no longer have babies and the whole thing of what it was to you know, There's a whole deal about, about that. So what was going on in Ephesus? You've got to go there. The next E is Eden. You've got to look at the, the next thing. We're pointed to Eden because of the whole thing of, of Adam and Eve. And, and so it points us to Eden. We've got to do some, ex, some exposition there in terms of headship, right? And there's a third E, and I think that's the early church. We need to do some exegesis in the, of the light of the early church to understand what was going on with women and how they did engage in the mission in, uh, in the early church. So I, I just appeal to someone needs to serve us by by writing a paper on this um, and digging deep so that we don't just use that as a one-liner when we would never think of using the next but one verse as a one-liner because we realize there's contextual challenges that we need to unpackage. Okay? Okay. Let me get practical here. Um, When I won't say too much about this. There's a lot more for me to, to share this afternoon, and I don't know what someone's supposed to finish. But anyway, I, I won't go too much further. But when when Graham and I came to Norwich 24 years ago, and we came to a very busted situation just after a church split, and uh, we had a lot of work to do building a new community here. And uh, I've not talked to Graham about this, but. Uh, our, our wives played a huge role in that whole thing, a huge role really, really, really did, in just bringing a new culture into the church, just by the opening of our, just our doing life together and our homes and the friendships and the, and getting in amongst the people and, and there was it was hard work, and our, our wives were, were right in there doing, doing a whole bun, bunch of stuff and and I would put i don 't think we really recognised and honoured that in a way that I think Paul would have done and I'm not just talking about giving them a bunch of flowers you know, I'm really, really, really not I'm talking about recognising involving um, involving including in discussions involving in what we're doing of course, please take it as read the whole eldership thing we, we, we understand all of that We've, we, we're, 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 we're clear on that, we love that but now we're clear on that folks let's Let's not be afraid to breathe deeply of the New Testament and see that there's something very precious going on with men and women wonderfully released. And the fact is that our wives got pretty involved because they were our wives. But even they, perhaps, I don't think we... I think we really honoured and recognised them in the way we should have done. But then there's a lot of women who, who are not our wives. <laughs> Fortunately. No, 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 no. You know what I'm saying. And, and also, there's a lot of women who are not married. And they're hugely gifted. And I'm just saying, guys, come on. I think there's some hard work for us to do to honour and to involve and include. Not token, tokenism, not just, you know, uh, patronising, but genuinely including. Um, and uh, maybe in years to come, there'll be a higher ratio of women and men in This room. (laughs) Angela's on her own here. (laughs) And I I think, I don't know what it must be be like to be just one on your own amongst a whole load of men. Maybe you're used to it all these years. But I I just feel, guys, that there's some work for us to do here. If we want (laughs) this. (laughs) And I think the church will be richer and happier and. Helped in a way that will be good for all of us. Okay, I think I'll move on there. They're all right. Okay, what was I doing? Um, <laughs> raising up fellow workers. The process of raising up fellow workers. He modelled team. Okay, how did he engage so many? How did he get so many people? All these names. I mean, there's hundreds of them. I, I think uh, I, I, I went, there's over 100 names connected with Paul through the New Testament. And a high percentage of those are workers. How did he get so many in the, in the mix? He modeled team. He was a team player. In fact, actually, he modeled community. I, I'm not sure team would be in his vocabulary. But for, for, for Paul, it was, it was community. He took community with him. He built in community. We never see him working on his own. You know that. 2 Corinthians 2.12. When I came to Troas, this is the great apostle speaking. When I came to Troas, to to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I left. A door of opportunity. His brother Titus isn't there. So he left town. You never see him working on his own. So his first ministry, ministry trip, ministry journey, he's got Barnabas and John Mark. Second ministry journey, Silas, Luke and Timothy. He surrounds himself with other co-workers. He relied on other co-workers. In fact, the reason he's writing all that to, to Rome was to tease out some more fellow workers to come to Spain with him. So he totally understands that it's about gathering team workers. He's, he's, he's alert all the time to working in team. Here's the thing. If you don't demonstrate that you need other people, if you don't demonstrate that you depend on other people, you will never draw others to work with you. Okay? If you are a complete deal, got it sorted, you will never build team. You can only build a team if you demonstrate that you need and depend on others. Okay? So, Mike, it's, it's great, actually, for people like us to be able to say, heck, I don't know what... I, I'm really out of my depth here. We need others engaged in the mission. I mean, th- th- this is what it's all about. We, we, others get drawn in because they see that there's a need. So he, 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 he relied heavily on others. One writer said this, the the role of Paul's workers cannot be determined only along the psychological lines on the basis of the the need for fellowship, or along organisational lines, maximising missional effectiveness, nor along the pedagogical lines in terms of training works of a time after Paul. Rather, Paul emphasises the co-responsibility and the participation of the churches because he regards missional work and ministry as the function of the entire church. And thus, there's great fluctuation in his teams of co-workers. that makes sense? So it's not just for convenience, I'll come along and carry my bags. It's not just to pass something on for later. Actually, this is what we're called to. We're called to engage one another in the churches in the mission, okay. Secondly, so model team. Secondly, he understood himself to be a servant. He understood himself to be a servant of Christ. One Corinthians three. After all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? We're servants, diaconos, there, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to us. Or One Corinthians nine. Though I am free, belong to no one. I've made myself a slave, doulos, to every, to as many as. Possible. So he, he 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 understood himself to be a servant. Now here's the thing: your church isn't actually your church; it belongs to Christ. It's not your project; it's His community. And sometimes when we're looking at strategy, you know, I hate it when people say, "My church this, my church that"? I, you know, it, it, it may just be slip of the tongue. Don't do it. The church that I, have the, that I have the privilege to lead would be a better way of, of, um, yes. of, of, of expressing it. It's not ours. It, it's not our project. Sometimes you hear, hear people with their strategies, like, about kind of a project. No, no, it's the people of God. And, and we are we're humbly responsible for the people of God, right? We're servants. We're slaves of Christ. That doesn't mean we're doormats, but it means that we're, we're, we're ready to serve and pour out our lives for others. There's no hint of rank or status here. There's just friends. Another uh, one writer's put this, there's no place for arrogance, vanity, or self-interest. He thus, Paul turns the frame of reference of Greco-Roman society and its notion of social prestige, where personal honor and status were of paramount importance, upside down. Paul does not promote people focusing on their own ministry, which could very easily lead to self-promotion and would thus contradict the very nature of the Christian message, which preaches, preaches a crucified saviour. We've got to be very careful on this. You know, we, it's, if, I, if I begin to see it as my church, my responsibility, I'm, you know, no, 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 it's, it's community, it's, it's gathering, it's engaging, it's, it's the family of God, do you see there's no lone rangers here. There's no space for lone rangers here. There's, there's community. And Paul sees himself as a servant. Um, how do you build like that? How do you manage to... In fact, with Tim Keller... Let me just... One more. I won't quote from here anymore. But um, I, I, this is really helpful. Speaking about servant mentality, uh, listen up to this. See what you think. What time am I finishing, by the way? Am I all right for a bit longer? Oh, heck, right, keep moving. Right, okay, no. Um, let me read this to you from um, three, well, page 318. Okay, this is about the whole thing about servanthood and so on. Listen to this building community is no longer natural or easy under our present fallen conditions, it's uncomfortable for most of us. You see, our natural condition under sin is to be glory empty, starved for significance, honor, and sense of worth. Sin makes us feel superior and overconfident because we're trying to prove to ourselves and others that we're significant and, at the same time, inferior and underconfident because, at a deep level, we feel guilty and insecure. Some people's glory emptiness primarily takes a form of bravado and evident pride. For others, it takes a form of self-deprecation and self-loathing. Most of us are whacked by both impulses. Either way, until the gospel changes us, we will use people in relationships. We do not work for the sake of the work. We do not relate for the sake of the person. Rather, we work and relate to bolster our own self-image. But when the gospel changes us, we can begin to relate to others for their sakes. It humbles us before anyone, telling us that we're sinners saved by grace, but it also emboldens us before others, telling us we're loved and honoured by the only eyes in the universe that really count. So we're set free to enjoy people for who they are in themselves and not for how they make us feel about ourselves. Couldn't it? And that's how we can... It's so liberating. We're servants of Christ. We're sinners saved by grace, we're not doing this for image or ego. We're doing this as followers of Jesus. And that is so liberating and it just kicks prestige and prominence out of the window. And you get something that we read, this smell of the New Testament. Oh, dear friend. Oh, yeah, I miss it. You're so good. Thank you. Appreciate you. Wonderful. Beautiful. It's a good book. <laughs> okay, keep moving. Number three. He, Paul always expected to reproduce himself. I didn't spend long on this. I think Mike talked about it a bit earlier on, mentoring. Um, by the way, don't forget, he always prayed for, for fellow workers, didn't he? Jesus told him to. pray, pray for workers for the harvest, right? So he learned from the master to start praying for those that he worked for. He always expected to reproduce himself. He, 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 he mentored helpers and gave believe, new believers a visible demonstration of how to be a missional person. Okay, he lived it. He, he lived the mission. Come with me and, and learn of me. He, that's why he was able to say to, to Timothy, you know, you know my ways. You know my ways. He, he, he lived it. He didn't give him a, a, you know, a list of things to go and do. He took him with him and shared his life with him in a very special way. Paul recognized the crucial role of mentoring in leadership development. Those who followed in his steps could be confident that they were following Christ. <laughs> Are people following you, can they be confident they're following Christ? Wow, that's, that's that's kind of challenging, isn't it? It was it was more than a program; it was a relationship, a God-given relationship. Timothy became a son to Paul. It's interesting; you don't hear much about Timothy's natural father. I don't think he's ever mentioned. I don't know whether maybe were, I don't know what that deal was, but but there was a a, a wonderful bond there. They became, they became he became a son mentoring things, opening of lives sharing of lives, very precious Paul invited Timothy into his life I just come across a book called Going Deeper, uh, you've come across this haven't you, what, uh, Adam Going Deeper, who's, who's written that book? Gordon Macdonald. Gordon MacDonald good chap, yeah great good book, going to wave it about, I haven't got it here if it's not on the bookstore, okay, it's this whole thing about going deeper, it's about sharing life and, and uh, engaging people with us So, training new workers was, for Paul, part and parcel of the mission. He surrounded himself with co-workers, men and women. Next thing, Paul was not afraid of making the ask. Okay? Titus 3, 13. Do everything you can to help um, Zenaeus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See if they have everything they need. 2 Thessalonians 3. Brothers and sisters, pray for us uh, that the world may speed with us. Uh, So he, he made the ask. He made the ask financially at times. He wasn't afraid to make the ask. Number five, he focused on character, okay? Unlike leadership manuals, the pastoral epistles say virtually nothing about specific functions, everything about character, yep? And uh, that seemed to be Paul's focus, and he took the lead in establishing uh, mentoring relationships. He invited Timothy to to, uh, travel with him. Okay, Then, lastly, how then did he mobilize these teams, these people? Let's have a quick look at that. Um, we're coming towards the end here. Um, number one, he engaged people in the work early on. He got people involved early on. The majority of Paul's co-workers came from the new churches that he had established. Okay? Um, again, as I've said it before, it wasn't Paul's goal to win, just to win converts, but to gather people. And... Uh, uh, when he, when he gathered people, he was always looking for those that he would he would draw out and take with him so for instance, um, a significant one example would uh, uh, stephanus the first convert in Achaia, 1 Corinthians 16:15. It's probable that Paul trained him as a co-worker during that first stay in Corinth on the first missionary journey. So first, right, he, he's only just got there on his first missionary journey, and he takes it up, this, he, he, he uh, raises up this guy, Stephanus, and he becomes one of his work, fellow workers later on. Also, Epaphras, um, uh, it's probable that um, Paul trained him up in, uh, uh, during his first stay in Ephesus and then he got involved in, uh, in Colossae and Laodicea and, and other places um, he, he, he got people engaged early but again it's that whole gathering thing get community working Give people, get people engaged in the work early on he taught all the churches to engage in mission by giving away their best I mean, Timothy, there's a prime example. So he, 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 he taught, church, taught churches to, as I say, engage in mission by giving away their best so they would learn uh, deep lessons in the process of mission that they wouldn't learn at home. So these churches quickly began to then engage in the mission. Well, of course they did because, oh, Timothy's there. Yeah, of course he's. Suddenly the dynamic of mission is, is happening because they've given away their best and there's a, there's a, a life link into that into into that whole momentum momentum of mission as churches gave away of their best okay um paul's letters indicate he expected the churches to actively support his translocal mission Uh, support would include finances and a provision of workers and prayer and hospitality um i love there's a lovely phrase where it says that so and so refreshed me in god i mean i wonder what that meant what that looked like Paul got refreshed. I think, oh, it sounds good. I think he had his feet up, you know, a nice glass or something there. And he's just being blessed in the mission. um, So the churches are engaging in in the work. Um, He put people to work. Paul uses a a wide range of different words for, for co-workers, brothers, servant, fellow slave, fellow soldier. But the most frequent terms are workers, or fellow workers. That's how he, that's the, the, the word he most often used for people he involved in mission with him. Workers, fellow workers. Um, those that travelled with him. Um, and they, they were gospelising, opening their homes, they were giving accommodation, they were contending for the gospel, they carried messages, they taught, they preached, they... Went to prison. <laughs> they they engage in the work, and I think there's this there's this deep sense in the New Testament. There's a there's a rolling up of the sleeves and a, a this working together. Uh, the, the the work for fellow worker um, is the word we get synergy from. Um, this whole thing of being you know we're so much more effective when we're we're going together and um, uh, engaging in in the work. The the most frequent, let's just, uh, um, yeah, um, this whole thing of creating lay ministry dynamic, I think it's really, I think it's really important for us. That that, that book, The Call, I think is most helpful. Because some people are so focused on my, my calling, my purpose, that that actually they're, they're stepping over opportunities for ministry because they're just locked up into something that's not particularly biblical. Because in scripture here, it's this whole community thing, this dynamic of the gospel um, that is far bigger than an individual and um, is, is very noticeable in, in the New Testament. But there's one more quote, I can't resist, one more from Tim Keller, um, 282, 282, just read this to you. Um, um, where was it? Um, boom, 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 boom. No, I better not go, take too long. Okay, um, Last word then, most frequently mentioned co workers, Priscilla and Aquila, they were from Rome. Um, They were active in Corinth. Now, I want you to get the dimensions here. Rome across the Corinth, that's about, um, even as a crow flies, about 600 miles. Uh, across the Ionian Sea, so it's probably about seven or eight hundred mile journey. They, they they got involved in Corinth and then down to to Ephesus. C- Corinth to Ephesus, that's another about four hundred mile. I mean, no, there's no planes. I mean, we're talking jolly walking and donkeys and stuff. And 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 so Corinth to Ephesus, this couple with their business, uh, you know, on, on on horseback or whatever, uh, for the sake of mission. Um, and then they went from Ephesus to Rome. That's a, they ended up in Rome, as we, we saw here at the end of the end of Book of Romans. That's got to be over a thousand-mile journey back to Rome. Huge! And that's the dynamic of, 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 of mission together, this dynamic of these people who are sowing their lives into uh, the cause of Christ. Um, Silvus and Silvanus, they were from uh, Jerusalem, active in Macedonia and uh, uh, Acacia. Again, that... that whoa that 's another missional journey of over a thousand miles there um, titus uh, antioch corinth and and Crete um, again Antioch to Corinth, probably over eight hundred miles are huge distances these people are giving themselves to Apol's from north Africa and he 's in Corinth and Ephesus and crete it 's just huge, but such is the relational bound and the passion for Jesus and the heart to engage and serve that that, that these these dear people they love not their own lives even unto death they they, they gave their lives it was they were, for, they were co-workers there's no prestige there's no there's no elevation here there, there's dear friends who've Who've, who've, who've spent the night together in prison, who've, who've traveled long journeys together for the sake of Christ. They, they honor one another. They, they love one another. They, they, there's, there's a wonderful sense of being caught up in something that is far bigger than themselves because it's the kingdom of God, and it is beautiful. And so this whole, uh, just to really make the point in closing, that missional act- activity is hard work. <laughs> it's hard work. It involves a struggle. And that's why you need dear friends. Because, hey, when you're going through a struggle, you want your dear friends with you, don't you? That's the beauty of it. You don't want some flash ministry with you. You want a mate who'll just be there for you. Right? We need the body of Christ. This is beautiful. This is the way God designed it to be. This is what will refresh your spirit. This is what will keep you going through the, the hard times. Men and women... Loved, valued, honoured, effective in the work as we give ourselves to this hard work of mission. And I'll close with a, a favourite quote of mine from my dear friend Byron. I'd hoped he'd be here with us this time, but he, Byron's my mate out in Beijing. Um, he couldn't be, be here um, he, got, he's, he, he's, he's a bit of a one um, when he goes on mission across you know across China and things like that um, he's got this, this joke, see if, if, you, if you die somewhere <laughs> um, sorry I shouldn't laugh if you, if, you, if you die a long long way away middle of nowhere it can cost a fortune to, to, get, to, to, get, to get your body home you see and, um, and so Byron whenever he's going on a mission he, we're, we're talking about this here he just says UPS okay wink you know in other words you know uh whatever ha- it's kind of a joke but it's sort of you know we're doing this for the sake of the kingdom and uh um whatever happens to me i'm not really too worried about that because i know that this 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 this, this wonderful mission that god's given given us and the, the implication being just cremate me and put me in a package and send me home ups that was that was the that was the line but anyway he this is a quote he gave me and i think this fits in with, as, as i've Breathe deeply of Paul's mission in the New Testament. I think I get this this smell. Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in an attractive and well-preserved body. Hallelujah. But rather to skid in sideways, gummy bears in one hand, battle sword in the other, body thoroughly used up, Totally worn out and screaming, woohoo, what a ride! <laughs>